Do you remember? Did you ever take the challenge? Did you try it? Like, did you just, did any, anybody ever, like, did, did you really succeed in that challenge? Everybody just eat one and you just stopped? Like, just to prove them wrong, anybody? Seriously? Javi, okay. Javi's the only really rebellious one. Like, no, man, I like potato chips. I love this commercial, actually. It's from 1983, I think. And uh, you would never see a commercial like this today. Because there's this thinly sliced potato chip, and then they drop it in a vat of boiling oil. Like, you don't, you don't see that anymore, especially with a little child around. Like, a little child's hanging, waiting by the oil, waiting to receive the chip. And then she bites into it, and nobody can eat just one. By the way, these bags are really scary these days. I don't know what's happening. But, um, but Lay's had it kind of figured out. Like, they knew, they knew us, didn't they? Like, they understood kind of the inner workings of us. Hear it out? You know I have misophonia, which is hatred of the sound of chewing. It's like an actual condition. Uh-huh. Many of you have it now because I did that. But I can do it. I can eat just one. It's not a big deal. I can put it down right now, and it's fine. Just the one. Um, but <laughs> One bag. <laughs> but they knew us. They had it figured out. They knew that all of us have things that we, we don't want to do them, but we end up doing them anyway. Like, I don't, I don't want to eat half of a bag of chips. I, I just want a few. But I ended up eating a half a bag of chips or whole, right? Anybody ever been in that spot? I have things right now that I'm trying to stop doing. Like, I, I'm trying to just kind of curb social media in my life. Uh, it's something I've enjoyed in the previous years, and I, I just... What happened was I was at um, Walt Disney World with my family uh, last month, and we're walking around, and, and I'm looking, we're in the happiest place on earth, right? I know that's arguable for some of you. Some of you hate lines, and you're like, okay, yeah. But my family, we love it. And so I'm in the happiest place on earth walking around, and there's just stuff to see everywhere. Everywhere you go is a magical experience. Everywhere you go, there's music, and there's lights, and there's rides to ride, and everybody is walking around like this on their phones, now, some of them were using the app to find rides and stuff like that. But I looked. I was curious. I was like, what are you doing over there? And I'm looking, and they're just on social media. They're here with family and friends in the most magical place, this great experience. And they're just on their phone, just glued to it. And I got, I got disgusted. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Now, if you love social media, it's great. I think it's a wonderful tool that you can use if, as long as it doesn't control you. That's not the point. For me, I want to stop doing it. And yet, I'm driving down the road, and I'll stop at a stoplight, and you know what happens? Boom! Instagram. My thumb just go, goes to Instagram. It's like, it's like I'm addicted. It just, it just instantly goes there. Anybody else have this reflex? It just goes to Instagram. And so I'll pick it up. I'll pick it, Wait a minute, and I'll put it down. I'm going through a process. I don't want to do it anymore, but I keep doing it. There's things that I want to do that I don't necessarily do. Like, I, I, I would love to eat a little healthier. That was a bad start. I want to eat a little healthier. Um, my family, most of my family really, is in this weird competition now where they're all trying to lose weight. And they all put some, they all put some money down and they're all like competing to see who can use the, lose the most weight. And so they're not fun to hang out with at all. They're miserable people. They don't eat anything fun. I can't stand it anymore. But they all want to lose weight. Now, I, I would like to do that. I'd like to shave off a few pounds. I'd like to change my diet. I'd like to eat a little healthier. But bacon. Am I right, people? But bacon, I don't want to do that. I really enjoy it. 
I should, I should change my ways, but I'm not because bacon. We're in chapter, four, chapter 7 of Romans today, and Paul is talking about this very idea. If you've been on the journey with us through this series, Life in the Balance, in the first four chapters, Paul, he's going at us. He's like a prosecuting attorney, and he's making the case that all of mankind is guilty. They're guilty of godlessness and wickedness and self-righteousness. And he makes this convincing case. And in chapter 5, he says, even though all of that, all this wickedness is going to increase in the earth, God's grace is going to increase all the more. And then in chapter 6, he says, just because God's grace is increasing, that doesn't give us the excuse that we can just sin more. Sin in any form is going to create death inside of us. And Miss Kim did a great job of talking about that last week. Today in chapter 7, I want you to listen because I think if you'll just get this idea, it'll save you a ton of heartache and confusion in your life with Jesus. Typically, when you become a Jesus follower, everything's great. And immediately, you know, you, you surrender your life to Jesus, and everything's awesome. Everything's new and fresh. It's like this honeymoon period where you're just hanging out, and life is so good, and there's a bright sunrise every morning, and your whole life is like puppy dogs and rainbows, and you have this joy and peace in your life all the time. But then after a little while, the old habits, the old part of you starts to creep up again. You ever experienced this? It just starts to creep up. And, and you start to think, I, man, I thought I was through with all that. I thought I was better than that. Like, I, I, am I even a Christian at all? What's wrong with me? I, I thought everything was puppy dogs and rainbows. And now, here I'm doing the old thing again. Well, there's good news, everybody. You're not alone here. Because Paul's dealing with this exact thing in Romans 7. And if we're honest, all of us have felt this way from time to time. So let's read it together. Romans 7, 14 says, Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Anybody else confused? I mean, this is like, Paul, what are you talking about? If we're honest, we've felt this way from time to time. I just can't seem to understand what's wrong with me, and I can't seem to get it straight. And Paul is explaining that as a follower of Jesus, you have two natures within you. You have a new nature. When you gave your life to Jesus, you got a new nature inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This new nature, it was given to you when you surrendered your life. When you give your life over to him, it becomes a part of you. And that new nature, it's the part of you that wants to do what's right. It wants to obey him. It wants to please God. It wants to live for him. It wants to be earnest and sincere and innocent. But you also have an old nature in you, that old sinful part of you. Your old nature is the nature that you had before you surrendered your life to Jesus. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, 
to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And that old nature, that old sinful nature that you have, it just wants to sin. It never wants to do what's right. It just wants to please itself. And actually, there's nothing that you could do to get rid of it on your own, even if you wanted to. You don't have the power to get rid of that old nature and to do what's right on your own. And the bad news is, everybody, your old nature is never going to change. You can't, you can't whip it into shape. You, you can't beat it into submission. You can't discipline it enough. You can't, on your own power, change it. And your old nature, it doesn't die. It doesn't die when you follow Jesus. You still have it. It's still in there. And as long as you're on the earth, you're going to wrestle back and forth with these two things, your new nature and your old nature. So as long as you have these two within you, there is a civil war that's raging in your life. There's a thing that's going back and forth in your life. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Here it is. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. They're in conflict with each other. There's a war going on in your life if you follow Jesus. And your old nature, it wants to do the old stuff. It wants to please itself. It wants to have its own way to indulge in your flesh. And your new nature wants to do the new stuff, wants to do the right stuff, the good stuff. It wants to follow Jesus. And they're in conflict back and forth. And I think how it works is your thoughts and your words and your actions, they're like seeds that you plant in each one of those natures. The things that you say, the things that you do, you're planting seeds and growing fruit in those two natures. And we have to deal with this. And this is what Paul's wrestling with. Today's Palm Sunday. It's that day in the church calendar where Christians all over the world, they, we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And everyone in that city, they, they seemed like they were on a high. And they embraced Jesus as the Messiah. And they knew, they knew, now they knew, he's the one. He's the long-awaited deliverer. And so they're celebrating, rejoicing, and waving palm branches. And then four days later, they completely turn on him and demand that he be crucified. What is happening? How does that even happen? Peter himself, Peter, he, he denies Jesus three times. Not just once, but three times after this triumphal entry. How is that possible? How do people go from worshiping Jesus to waiting to crucify him and completely deny him? That's what Paul's getting to. And in, in this chapter, I think that Paul makes five major confessions. And I think they're confessions that if you and I will adopt them and learn to say them in our own lives, that we can get out of this and find life. Here's what I mean. The first confession that Paul makes is, I have a problem. <laughs> I got a problem. Romans seven fourteen, he says, we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual and sold as a slave to sin. The first thing Paul realizes I got a problem. I got issues. There's stuff going wrong in here. And I think this is the best place to start. Before you can ever get victory in your life, you have to admit, I have a problem. You have to admit, I got two natures that are at war within me. You have to admit that sin wants to dominate your life. It's interesting, the word I is used 27 times in 12 verses in this chapter. Paul had an I problem. He knew that he had a problem. And actually, it's your problem and my problem too. We have the exact same one. Our biggest problem is not necessarily the devil. <laughs> and, and we like to treat it that way. You know? He's just, there's, a, there's a demon under every rock, and they're trying to get me. And, ooh, look out. The devil's really coming after me. 
We like to think that way, and, and we shouldn't lessen that. It's true. He does want to steal and kill and destroy you. So it may not be every rock. It might be every other rock. But the biggest problem that you have, really, is you. <laughs> the biggest problem that you and I have, it's us. My new nature wants to do what's right. My old nature wants to keep doing what's wrong. And this is a good place to start. That's why I think in, in AA meetings, that's kind, of, that's kind of where we start. In 12-step programs, that's where we start. Um, hi, my name is Brent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> David has a problem. <laughs> no, it goes like that. Hi, my name is Brent. Hi, I have a problem. That's where it starts. I want you to know that this should be a place where you can come and you can say, hey, I have a problem. And we're going to say, okay, me too. Let's talk about it. And let's figure it out together. The second thing that Paul confesses is he says, I'm confused. We just read that passage, and obviously the man's confused, right? It's hard to listen to what he's saying. Romans 7.15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So confusing. But actually, this is really comforting to me, because I feel the same way. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he didn't always get what was happening. He couldn't always figure everything out, and even he felt like he couldn't keep it all together. Paul's wrestling with two really difficult questions. How can I stop doing bad things? How can I stop doing this? And how could I ever start doing the good things? How can I ever start doing the right things? The great apostle Paul says, he can't seem to do what's right. That's comforting to me. What I want to do, I end up not doing. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. Everybody, that's all of us. We start every day with the best intentions, don't we? Nobody wakes up in the morning and say, ha ha, I am totally going to ruin my marriage today. It's going to be awesome. I am going to be a huge jerk to my kids today. I can't wait. I'm going into the office and I'm totally going to get fired for insulting my boss. I cannot wait. Nobody does that. Well, very few people do that and they need help. Nobody wakes up that way. We have the best intentions. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to go the right way. I, I'm going I'm 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 to make good decisions. Today is going to be different. I'm not going to do this today. Or I, I am. I am going to do this today. And then at the end of the day, we go to bed realizing, ah, oh, I just failed again. What's wrong with me? I'm so confused. The third confession Paul makes is, I'm frustrated then. I'm frustrated. Romans 7, 17, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't. I can't carry it out. Even Paul says, I've got great intentions, but I just can't seem to do it. Nothing ever seems to change. I don't seem to have enough willpower to make any of this happen. I don't have the willpower to eat just one. I don't have the willpower to make all the good decisions. I don't have the willpower to do all the right things. There's a great story that really illustrates this in this uh, incredible theological treatise called Frog and Toad Baked Cookies. About a third of you liked that. And I want to tell the story to you now. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell good, said Toad. He ate one. They taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Don't you love Frog and Toad? I love Frog and Toad. Frog, like, <laughs> no. Frog, Frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. 
Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let's eat one last cookie, and then we will stop. True words, never spoken, am I right? Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last, very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad, as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying not to eat these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, now we will not eat, eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog got a ladder. He put the box high up on a shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder, took down the box from the shelf, cut the string, opened the box. He took the box outside. He shouted in a loud voice, hey, birds, there are cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. <laughs> you may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home to bake a cake. <laughs> Toad is my man. How many times have you done this battle? How many times have you said, if I just make this decision, I'll just put it in a box and then I won't be able to do it anymore? but I can open the box, and I do. And then you go all the way to say, well, I'm just going to try to get rid of all of it. And there's nothing that you can do. You're like Toad. Okay, it's all gone. Now I need some cake. I got to have some cake. We're all the same. We all struggle with this, and it's frustrating. If you're frustrated this morning, I want you to know you're not alone. The Apostle Paul is with you. I'm with you. We get it. And you can bring your frustration here to this family, and we can help one another. But we can't do it on our own strength. It won't work. We can have lots and lots of willpower, but you're going to go bake a cake. You need something else to be able to do it. The fourth confession, I'm in a battle and I'm losing. This is the confession I want you to make. I'm in a battle and I'm losing. Romans 7, 21, so now I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. He's losing. Making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. If you're an underliner, underline that word. Or just take note, law of sin. Look at those words, the law of sin. This law of sin is just like the law of gravity. It ties you down. It weights you down. It pulls you down. And you can flap all you want and try to get out of it, but it's not going to work. I can stand here in front of you, and I can try to get up in the air under my own power, but I look a little stupid, but only barely. I can try, but it's not going to work. I can't get up off the ground on my own strength, and you can't get out of this mess on your own strength. The law of sin is like gravity, and it pulls us down. I was mowing my lawn the other day, and I went around one of my hedges, and there was on the ground a big, nasty bird. 
no like big, like it was dead. Something probably carried it there. It had like big old claws, like, like huge, like big gray. I don't know if it's a vulture or what it is, but it was big and I was afraid. But this thing, I, I, I thought, what? okay, so, so let's say I go and I, I pick up that bird, right? Let's say, and I, I don't want to touch that bird, but let's say I, I pick up that bird and I, and I want it to fly and I throw it up in the air. Are you picturing that scene? <laughs> What's going to happen? I'm expecting it to fly away. Fly, birdie, fly. Instead, it's coming back down, and, and it's not in a healthy state. When it comes down, it's going to be gross. It's on its way back down. Why can't it fly? There's no life. There's no life in it. It can't fly, and that's exactly how it is with you and me. If I try to keep God's commands in my own power, I won't be able to do it. I won't make it. I can't make it in my own strength. Why? Because the law of sin makes me dead. The law of sin pulls me down. I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit breathing in me. I have to have the life of the Spirit lifting me up and propelling me forward. It's the only way that I'll be able to come alive. And spoiler alert, everybody, that's what Romans chapter 8 is all about. And we're almost there. Romans 8, 12 says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's only one law that's greater than the law of sin, and that's the law of the Spirit. It's a higher law, and that law sets you free to live the life that Jesus calls you and me to live. The fifth and final confession is, Paul says, so <laughs> I'm just at the end of my rope. I'm at the end. Romans 7.24 says, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who's going to do this? That word wretched in the Greek, it, it literally means I'm worn out from exhaustion. I'm worn out. I'm a wretched person. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted from all the effort of me trying to do it. And that's the way many Christians live their lives every day. They're exhausted and beaten up and worn out. And why? Because they're just trying to do the right thing on their own. They're just trying to do the right thing or not do the wrong thing. And they're out of energy. They're tired. They've been fighting the battle so long. And they haven't won anything. And like the Apostle Paul, they just start crying out in agony. God, I can't. God, I can't. I can't, I can't change. I, I can't change anything in my own power. God, who's, who's going to rescue me? In the New Testament, as I understand it, Sometimes when a person committed a murder, one of the forms of punishment they would use was they would take the body of the person that was murdered and they would chain it to the murderer's body. That's fun, isn't it? And they would have to carry that body with them. Can you imagine? Carry it around for everyone to see. So think about it. You're going to have dinner. He's coming along. You're going to bed at night. He's laying right there. And Paul is saying, that's how I feel. I can't get rid of my sinful nature. I've got this thing that I'm dragging around with me. Listen, you're always going to have it while you're here on the earth. It's going to be there as long as you're alive. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you will come to despair. And the sooner you come to despair, now you're at the place where you can gain victory. 
when lifeguards go into training, one of the things that they learn is you can't save a victim who's flailing. If they're flailing about, if they're flailing, trying to get saved, you, you can't get there because they're going to pull you down. So it's part of the training, as I understand it, is they say, wait, you wait. Wait until they get a little tired and they can't do it anymore, and now go save them. They stop flailing. Now you can go up and you can grab a hold of them and you can bring them in. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is the one who's drowning. Here, you and I were the ones that are drowning. And at the end of this chapter, he's at the end of his rope. He's done. In verse 24, in the message version, he says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? He finally stops flailing around and he gives up on himself. He gives up on him. And as soon as he does, he gets a flash of hope. The answer comes in verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and he does. Jesus Christ can and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. God acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. And all I have to do is give him my all. Paul's answer is simply Jesus. It's that. It's simply Jesus. And today, I just want to point you to that answer as well. I just want, you to, I just want to point you to him. If you're tired of fighting, if you're tired of struggling, if you're tired of the back and forth and the civil war that goes on inside of you, lay it down. Stop flailing. Just stop. And call out to Jesus. And he'll come. And give you all the power that you need. And you know what happens. This downward spiral that we get into. This downward thing where we keep going further and further and further and further down. Because I can't do this. And I didn't do this. And I, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I do want to do. And we keep going down. He stops you in that spiral. And he flips the script. He reverses it. And he starts to help you rise. I have a video that kind of illustrates this perfectly. And as we close, I want you to watch it with me. My generation has no future, and I refuse to believe that I have been given permission to live and I am free. I realize this may be a shock, but God has a purpose for my life is actually a lie, and I believe money and popularity are priorities. In my lifetime, I will tell the people closest to me, I have my priorities straight, and I must hold on to my pride. I surrender the idea that my actions will have an everlasting impact. In the future, lukewarm beliefs will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about our faith. It will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope. But what if we change that? What if we shatter those expectations what if we flip the script? There is hope. It is foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It will be evident that my peers and I care about our faith. No longer can it be said that lukewarm beliefs will be the norm. In the future, my actions will have an everlasting impact. I surrender the idea that I must hold on to my pride. 
I have my priorities straight. And in my lifetime, I will tell the people closest to me, money and popularity are priorities. It's actually a lie. And I believe God has a purpose for my life. I realize this may be a shock, but I have been given permission to live. And I am free. And I refuse to believe that my generation has no future. refuse to believe that too. And we're not just talking about the younger generation. We're talking about all of us. This generation of people alive today, whatever age you're in, whatever phase of life you're in, God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he wants you to live free. See, Romans 7 here, it's the key to Romans chapter 8 where we're about to go. This idea that we just need to stop. Stop trying. Stop flailing. Stop fighting and instead just respond to the love and the grace of Jesus and let him fill you. Why don't you close your eyes for a second and just think about this. The answer to overcoming your old sin nature, it's not going to come through you. It's not going to come through other people. It's not going to come through promising to try harder or resolutions or just gutting it out. The only way that you'll be able to live the life of a Jesus follower is to let Jesus live it through you. You can't live it into your own power. And if you try, you're just doomed to fail. The only way that you can do this, the only way, is to let God's power live it through you. So I want you to think. With your eyes closed, I just want you to think. Think, think about the problem that you are constantly struggling with. Temper. Is it your impatience? Is it self-control? Is it sex? Is it being honest? Is it your thought life? Is it, is it pride or is it laziness? Is it just self-centeredness? Is it, is it alcohol? Is it drugs? What is it? Because all of us have skeletons in our closet and they don't always stay there. Sure, they'll hide for a while, but they're gonna show up right when you don't want them to. This is what Romans chapter 7 is about. Some of you feel really defeated. How can I ever live the life that Jesus calls me to live? I want to do what's right, but I, I just can't seem to do it. All those old habits and old patterns and old desires, they just, they keep coming up. And I've tried, Brent, I've tried to discipline them. I've tried with my willpower and my determination, and I, I've made promises, and I've made commitments, and I just keep failing some of you have been trying to do what you thought was right, but you just keep getting more and more defeated. You've got to understand you can't do this by yourself. You can't. Jesus can. Without him, our lives continue to spiral downward. When he comes in, he flips the script and everything turns around. So today, if that's you, if you're ready to just stop flailing, <laughs> stop flailing. And just right now in your heart, just tell him, God, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm finished. I give up trying to do it under my own strength. I I'm tired. I'm frustrated and I'm losing and I want to win. So Jesus, I, I give you my life. 
Come on, if that's you, just pray that prayer. Jesus, I, I give you my life. I surrender. I lay it down. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want you to do it through me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus, I give my life to you. Take it. Fill me. Surround me with people and friends who can help me. And God, give me your strength to do what you want me to do. I say yes to you in Jesus' name. That's a good prayer, everybody. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to know about it. There's a gray card that you can fill out there in your cup holder just so I can talk to you and help you with the next steps. I'm not going to track you down. I just want to just help. We're going to come to the Lord's table here. We're going to receive communion, and we're going to receive the grace that he's given us. And you might be saying, okay, yeah, good, but, I don't, but what, am I, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? <laughs> what, what does this look like? Here's one thing that I think you can do tomorrow. Paul says this interesting thing. He says, I die daily, brothers. I mean that. I die daily. He means I surrender daily. I give my life up daily. I say, I'm not going to try today, God. I want you to do it today. So every morning, you just wake up and kill yourself. I had a pastor who used to say that all the time. And we always did what you did too. I wake up every day and I say, God, I die to myself. God, I want to crucify my flesh and my desires. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I die to me today. And I want to live for you. I want to experience your death and resurrection power in my life. So, I crucify myself. I die. And I want you to live in me. If you pray that prayer every morning, start to change. Something practical that you can do.